a Mitch and Jeremy exclusive. Are you ready? On air. Online. You ready to have a good time? On your smart speaker and wherever you stream. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews and episodes on demand now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of it. Hey, hey. Yo, what's going on? How you doing? Look at that. How you doing, man? Jeez, all good. It's so great to finally uh, meet you face to face instead of just being on Twitter. (laughs) How you doing, Jeremy? I'm doing great. How, How you doing? Mitch is there too. Yeah, good day. Hey, Mitch. Always a pleasure. We, I had a chance to uh, to listen to the album, of course, and it is smoking. What a album of the year! I mean, it's you listen to, a, to the guitar work on a, on a song like "Holding On." Wow, that is smoking. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny that song almost didn't make the album, and it was one of the first ones that I wrote with Narda. And, you know, I knew it was a little bit more on the progressive side. And uh, so I, I held off on finishing the thing, you know, to the very end. And I kept messing around with the vocal ideas like I did on most of the tracks that that I wrote on this record. And uh, scouting vocals, trying to find the right pocket for the vocal for the track that made it sound right. And I tried, you know, on and off for, I don't know, about six, seven months. Wow. I'd go in and try one idea, and I'd come back and go, no, that's not it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, finally, I, like, tapped in. I go, what would Aretha do on this? Because I love Aretha Franklin. And I kind of scatted some Aretha scats, like, you know, R&B's just soul blues. And um, it kind of came out, and I went, that sounds pretty good. And so uh, Randy yeah. Jackson... He wrote the chorus on that song when I sent it to him to replace my bass. And uh, he sent it back with uh, Holding On, and he had stacked his vocals. And, uh, you know, it just kind of came together like that. Uh, It wasn't something that we worked on at one specific time. It was kind of spread out. And then it came time for me to play a solo, and I just kind of, I don't know, I just thought, I'm going to just rip through this thing. Not leave a lot of holes, just rip through it, you know? Yeah, as you should, really, right? <laughs> you know I what? I just like that kind of song, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, I didn't. I realized we didn't even do like a proper intro. So look, let's get right into this. We're already, we hit the ground running. Um, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee sold a billion records at this point. Um, yep. Going to be performing at the <laughs> Resort World Theater alongside the Symphony later in July. Um Catch them on the road as well. Brand new record called Freedom coming out on July 8th. You can pre-order it now wherever you get your music. His group is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and literally one of the greatest and biggest rock and roll bands and music groups. I mean, just in general of all time. Welcome back to the show. The one, the only from Journey, Neil Sean. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, we, uh, we, it's great to see you. Yeah, we love to have you, and, and we love actually going out to your shows. I mean, just quickly talk to me about that. The Journey Show. 50 years in, you haven't slowed down. Arnell is kicking ass. Dean is kicking ass. You're kicking ass. Jonathan's kicking. I mean, do you guys ever slow down? I mean, how, how come you didn't do like a club tour? Like you, you've never, you've, you've been a stadium act for 50 years for crying out loud. You know, it, it took um, a while, I think, for myself to wake up and, and realize that I was in the wrong company. 
you know, with, with management and, uh, you know, uh, I'm loving working with A and G right now, AEG. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they didn't know since they had never worked with us, what it was going to be like, but I made very good friends with one of the main people there. And, um, you know, we're like, if I call him up, he answers the phone. It's really kind of cool. <laughs> and, um, you know, just kind of taking the bull by the horns and leading it now. And we're finding out that we're, you know, actually much bigger than it appeared to be before and selling out all these places that, you know, we've not been into an arena since uh, the eighties and we're going heading back in stadiums. I mean, next year yeah, we're planning on doing uh, arenas again uh, for the first 40 shows with Toto again. You know, it was my idea to bring on Lukather and the guys. And musically, that just worked so well. And a lot of people were kind of like, I don't know about that. And I go, you believe me, our audience will love it. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, that worked really so well. Um, I've never seen better reviews from our audience themselves, you know, our fans, just saying they love the overall show. And uh, it just snowballed, you know. And so now many more fans want to see it that didn't see it. So we're going to go play uh, the secondary markets, hit the main markets that we did miss, come make up the Canadian dates, yeah. you know, that we had to push off uh, and all that. And and then probably make it overseas. We're talking about going overseas uh, mm. with, with Toto as well. And um, Luke is calling me he's saying, hey, some of my promoters – are telling me that we can go into stadiums in some of the cities. And I'm like, doesn't surprise me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not surprised at all. I mean, it's, it's a quality show. Um, all right. So let's, let's get back into, into freedom. Talk yeah. to me just real quick about the importance of making new music, because I, as a fan, get exceptionally bored with bands that come around and do the greatest hit set for 20 years in a row and you just like it's like oh okay look it's the same 15s but you and Def Leppard and Brian Adams and Bon Joe you keep you keep it fresh and mm-hmm. I love that talk to me about about that for you and keeping it fresh for yourself well you know you think you get bored <laughs> <laughs> it's something that I need to do you know as a guitarist and as a musician and there's somebody that I need to feel like I'm moving forward, you know. Yeah. I don't like to sit in the same place. I don't like to rest on the laurels, which where there there are many, you know, we have many hits yeah. and yeah. could just very well go out there and do that year after year. Well, and look, we- let me just throw in there. I mean, Journey's Greatest Hits is number 97 on the iTunes Top 100 Album Chart in Canada right now. I mean, it, it's in the, come on. It does not go away. And so there's no way around it. You have to play the hits. What I'm really looking forward to doing now uh, that I've been fortunate to do by myself in different instances is playing, you know, an evening with. And so now that we've proved ourselves to AEG, I think, you know, uh, we are 2023 is is pretty mapped out. Not completely. Some of this, what I'm going to talk about could happen in the latter side of it. Right. Uh, of 23 uh, or in 24, but we have, we're already talking about 24 and going wow. back in stadiums as well. But definitely 25, I see us going into arenas, but doing evenings with, much like Rush used to. And I think we're definitely there now. 
And I'm definitely ready for it to construct just a mind effing set that encompasses mm-hmm. everything that I've ever been involved with, you know, the band since uh, early, you know, 72, uh, uh, or rather 73, but I did start to band in 72. Yeah. Uh, Freedom coming out on July 6th. You pre-order it now wherever you get your music. Uh, July 8th, actually. Pre-order it now wherever you get your music. Um, talking about the recording process a little bit, I was just reading where some of the places you guys recorded this record. I mean, you're all over the place and stuff. Uh, was this really like a pandemic record in a way where you had to do it all remotely or did you guys get into the room together and do it at all? Uh, the only people that got into to the room together and where it all started and all the songs started from uh, were Narda and myself. So Narda Michael Walden and and myself, since we live, you know, very close and he, we worked out of his studio, we worked out of Tarpan in San Rafael. And uh, I think it's really what saved the record in a lot of respects of having a live feel, mm. you know, uh, you cut guitar, you know, Jeremy, you're a guitar yeah. player, you yeah. cut guitar without drums, you know. And it's going to sound like that. And like, it's very difficult to go into a studio even. And from my experience, and and if you go in and you cut live with a band, and then you go back and you go, you know, I don't really like my guitar playing uh, the live track that I did. And you try to replace that original guitar that yeah. you played with drum. Oh, no, he's frozen. Uh-oh. Totally frozen. Oh, there, oh there we go. Now he's back. <laughs> yeah, everything everything kind of falls apart in the glue, you yeah. know, that we said is now unglued. Yeah. And you're most better off just recutting it with drums, you know, guitar and drums. I think it's just vital uh to to have that feel and that, you know, cohesiveness and and where you're gelling yeah. playing with. And so, you know, I've made many records like this um going back to the first co-solo records i did with jan hammer and you know at the time i didn't know that jan played drums i went up mm-hmm. uh you know upstate new york and met with him and he's like well let's just lay it down and i go well who's gonna play and he goes i'm gonna play <laughs> <laughs> okay Right. And he, he just whipped it you know he can he can play great drums man mm-hmm. i was so impressed and so that was like the first record i did like that and then i did many records other solo records after that where it was just guitar and drums and some i just played bass on you know mm-hmm. and, and overdub some keys too right it's interesting i mean like talk about the recording process though i mean like back in the day you had to set up all these amps and different things try this guitar try that guitar try this this cabinet did you go totally digital this time around your experiments with some uh, old school gear i you know had we done it all at one time, I would have set up at least one mono cabinet with one ass kicking head, yeah. you know, whether it was a Marshall or EVH, you know, I love the EVH uh, EL34 heads. Yeah. I've been using those live uh, and I would have had one, but we were in and out of the studio and it was on and off throughout about a year and a half. You know, there was different projects that narda was doing he couldn't work all the time i had you know uh, different things going on and so i chose just to use a kemper you know uh because um you know i had gone in the studio and i had sampled my own amps into the kemper um and, Mm. and spent a day you know at fantasy studios in berkeley 
when it was still open before they wiped it out. And, you know, I took my Hiawatts, took my Marshalls, took my Fenders, took my Bogners. You know, I, I kind of, you know, sampled uh, uh, everything that I had. So they were real amps. And uh, I just thought it was an easy way around the solution without having to worry about where was the mic and where exactly in the room was yeah. everything placed. If I wanted to punch in on something that I had done that I didn't like. You don't have to worry about the cleaning lady coming in and moving a mic or. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, it's like, and, and so for this project and, you know, I, I think it sounds great. You know, I mean, I think um, we're in a digital world, you know, yeah. honestly, totally HD, HD pro tools is, is very, very good. Mm -hmm. uh, if your engineer is very good and doesn't oversaturate it and hit it too hard. And um, I, I find that it can sound as good as two-inch tape. You know, there's nothing like mm -hmm. two-inch tape. If you have, you know, a great engineer, uh, you know, that knows how to slam the tape, like all the earlier recordings and saturate the tape, there's not quite anything like that. But really, you can't even buy tape anymore. So it's nuts. Yeah. Uh, it's and it's easy. super expensive. Yeah. yeah. Oh, insane. It's insanely expensive if you can find it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I just chose to to uh, do it all digital. Yeah. We talk about. A, I was just going to say, I mean, like talking about the guitar tones and stuff in this record, it's a really guitar heavy record, which I wasn't really expecting. I mean, like I was expecting maybe some more like, I don't know, like ballad kind of tones or different. But like, it's a really slam and rock record in a way. Was it, it fun is. to go back to that? Yeah, it, what it basically is is was you know I produced the record with Narda, mm -hmm. and I wanted to go for a live feel. I wanted a live sound. I wanted to capture more what the band sounds like in a stadium or in an arena. Yeah. So you know, there's there's a few tracks where I have just dead dry guitar going for that old school thing, whether it's ACDC or Free or you know, Paul Kossoff in early days, nice. like um, all day and all night. I mean, that's just flat, you know? Yeah. And and it sounds great, you know? Uh, but for the mo most of the part, I like that long chamber echo. I like the long delayed, pre-delayed, you know, chamber, even that Ted Templeman used on, yep. you know, early Halen records. Yeah. Uh, Which Ed hated, by the way, apparently. He hated that chamber sound. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you it's know. Great, though. If if poor Ed, if he was still here, I'd I'd argue with him. But you know, <laughs> we, we were good friends. You know, we'll, we'll keep yeah. the arguing for you and Brad Gillis. <laughs> What's that? We'll keep the arguing for you and Brad Gillis. <laughs> yeah, she's. Oh, <laughs> um, you know, I I I love the giant. You know, I think I like hearing the echo because I play differently. You yeah. Know? Um, and my well, even in, even your Instagram videos, I mean, like you got to, like your tone is so saturated with the delay and the reverb. Like I, that's the tone that I love to hear. So to hear it on a rock record, and I'm like, fuck yeah, like this is coming yeah. back. And and you know, I I get my the guys that go on there that are like, dude, take all that shit off, you know, because I can't hear the wood. And I'm like, <laughs> no, you know what? This is my site. I'm going to do what you want. You don't want to listen. Get the fuck out of here. Exactly. You know? Yeah, <laughs> same thing with me. I love the cannonball snare drum. I need the super processed, you know, H3000 micro pitch on the guitar. Like, I need all of it. 
Also, yeah. when you're in a little room and you're listening back to, I mean, I don't have a full-fledged studio in my house and I have medium-sized KRK mixing speakers in there. Yeah. I'm just recording onto a little iPhone. You know, I don't <laughs> even have it hooked up direct. Yeah. And so, you know, it's just for practice purposes. And I, you know, it's, it's a little more inspiring to me to, to, for me to hear myself like I'm playing in a bigger place because that's where I usually play. Yeah. So I'm used to listening to the PA pumping in the place. I don't have my in-ears up loud. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, I, I want to hear the PA. And you still and, have cabinets on the stage too. Right, right. So. Yeah, I've got them really low. You know, I'm using really killer uh, Myers cabinets mm-hmm. uh, that are very, you know, they're not tall. And they're blowing by, you know, my ankles, but they are pumping some air down there. Yeah. And we got a little EVH uh, 212 cab right now, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with, uh, um, you know, a head as well. Right. Yeah. Talking about EVH, I mean, and, and just guitar tones in general. I mean, you're using the EVH amps now, but back in the day, I mean, your guitar tone was sort of fresh in a way because nobody sounded like your tone you listen to like the volume swells on faithfully in that little intro or you listen to the solo on don't stop believing i mean like nobody had that guitar tone that you had was it hard to conceive that tone at the time and did you have it in your head and like like how did you come up with that sound well to be honest you know it was a jumped up high watt head uh that that some guys had made for me and it, it was, and I used to like A, B, use the A channel, B channel, uh, Y chord thing, mm-hmm. just like you do with old plexis. Yeah. And the head really had some oomph to it, you know, with, with you know, the high watt thing instead of the Marshall thing. It's like really kind of in your face, a lot of mids, mm-hmm. you know, high mids, mid mids, and um, not quite as brutal as, you know, a plexi. Her journey. It just had a different slot that seemed to fix, uh, fit with us better. But really, the sounds you're talking about, the swells and all that, I loved uh, the Lexicon 224s, you know, the studio giant Lexicons they used to mix. And at the time, um, I had met some guys at the company and I had them build me a pedal board that would control, you know, the 224. Oh, wow. And uh, so everything you're hearing on there, I recorded like that. It wasn't mixed like that. And um, I kind of set it myself and did the swells myself with, you know, pretty much like a volume pedal. And that's what I use live, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just a long, long, pre-delayed, you know, endless echo. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a little bit of slap, but kind of what I'm doing in a Kemper right now too maybe you know it doesn't have the complete you know fidelity of a a 224 but um those units are so big and hard to take on tour got bounced (laughs) around a lot of where it would work it didn't work you know i ended up selling it after a while well that's why they're designed for the studio right but it's it's like you know a lot of people talk about the guitar tones of the 80s they talk about eddie they talk about you know def leopard or bon jovi but nobody ever really mentions your guitar tone i just wanted to throw that out there and just you know mention it because it's it's such an instantly recognizable thing and i feel like a lot of people copied you once you did it i think you're right yeah (laughs) and you know i think the only guys that really have talked about my playing in general or like 
you know, Steve Vai, mm -hmm. Satriani, friends of mine. Yeah. Um, well, we just had Keith know, Scott from Brian Adams Band on the show last I, week, and I, he mentioned I, you. I saw that, man. Keith is, I don't know if you've ever heard him play by himself. Have you heard him? Yeah. He, well, he's he out wasn't, of the realm, out of the he, Brian Adams realm. No, no yeah, well, I mean, well, I have because he 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 has guested on a whole bunch of other albums, but I mean his yeah. his tone and his playing, I mean, look at the riffs he's done. He's he's on Summer of '69, Cusla. I mean, those are classic, classic and, songs. And you know what? I I know this just from touring with those guys uh, when Brian's album first came out. Uh, he was touring with Journey. And um, yeah. I love the tour. And, you know, I thought he was just such a solid, amazing guitar player for what he was doing with Brian, just playing what the song needed, you know, yep. tastefully and with great tone and with command. But when I was walking backstage and I walked by the room, I heard some guy in there freaking wailing, man. And it was it sounded like Alan Holdsworth, right? Wow. Like, Who the fuck is that? And I open up the door and it's him, man. And I'm going, <laughs> I didn't know you played like that. And he goes, Oh yeah, that you know. <laughs> yeah, he, I was like, you'd never know it. So, so Keith Scott's like a closet shredder then. He's, Keith, Keith he's, is amazing. He can definitely dig in and play as progressive as you want him to and as outside as you want him to. Yeah. 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 Uh, just real quick, uh, I love Arnell. I love Steve Perry. I love all the singers you've had. But ultimately, it comes down to having great songs. And when you listen to this album and you hear You Got the Best of Me, Come Away With Me, Holding On, like I mentioned, right away, they're instantly recognizable as being Journey songs. Instantly, you're singing along to the chorus. I mean, you just connect. It's not one of these albums where you have to sit and go, oh, it'll grow on me. Give me a month. Like, you hear You Got the Best of Me, and to me... It sounds like a journey song of the last 40 years. It's instantly like I'm singing it. Just yeah. talk to me about the songwriting process, because I think if regardless of who the singer is, if your songs suck, it won't matter. But if your songs okay. are great. It is about the songs. I mean, when you're in a band, you know, it is all about the songs, always, yeah. you know, more so than the players. It's just it's great to have great players. Yep. But, you know, without the songs, you really don't have a band or anything that sounds like the band. So, you know, like you got the best of me, for instance, I'll just take you through how that song came down. Um, me feeling like we needed more up-tempo songs in our set uh, because we don't have a lot of fast songs. We have like Dead or Alive and we got, you know, any way you want it. And there's just a few that are like really raised tempos. And a lot of them are median tempo rockers that are meant to sound really big in a coliseum, you know? Yeah. in a big place in a stadium uh because if you play super fast stuff in a stadium it gets lost so you go for yeah. that big mid-tempo like acdc has done for years and other bands like that and so i had any way you wanted on my mind because that's our biggest our second biggest downloaded song next to don't stop believing to this day and mm -hmm. um there's really not much to it. It's a tempo, it's some attitude, three chords, and, you know, a verse and a chorus, a different chorus, you know, and a couple guitar solos. And so, um, you know, I was messing around with the chord downstairs, and I uh, uh, just, you know, put in a drum, loo drum loop that I 
felt was, you know, the right tempo. And I started playing over the top of it. And it came out like in a couple seconds. And then I laid it down with Narda, went in the studio and I had it uh, all arranged. And we, we laid it down, uh, played live solos, then went back and replaced the rhythm in some areas. Uh, and then I went out to sing on it because that's what I did on a lot of this record, except for the track like that Jonathan brought in or the one that Arnell co-wrote, uh, you know. And um, I went and scat the vocal. And that that is my scat, what he's singing, you know. He's singing my melodies. And I came up with the chorus hook uh, lyrically then I stacked those. And it's really mm -hmm. weird. When I when I did it, I stacked like four of each harmony that I did. So it mm -hmm. sounded like a big, giant, stacked chorus a la Roy Thomas Baker. You nice. Know, you were like 10% nice. there for a Mutt Lang chorus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it sounded really great. When Bob Clearmountain mixed it, he kind of pulled things back and he featured more Arnell. Now, I'm not going to tell Clearmountain what to do. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> He's so awesome, and uh, he's the man. Yeah, him and Mike Frazier. I love that both those guys. Yeah, talking about Mutt Lang. How how come through the eighties, like Journey never got like never worked with Mutt Lang? Because I feel like that marriage would have just been perfect. Oh, it would have been. Beautiful. I I think it it still would be. I love uh, Mutt's work. I think that we didn't have that type of time to set aside because yeah. <laughs> our manager at the time had us working constantly. Right. You know, we'd work you know uh, for two years straight. And then we'd have like a couple months to make a new record. And then you're mm. back out on tour. And so, you know, as you know, Mud likes to take his time. He likes to try everything under the sun. Yeah. As I've been told by many artists that have worked with him, uh, he will leave no, no rock unturned, you know, and he'll try everything in his head until he, you know, finds he what he's looking for. Yeah. Uh, I admire him though. He is amazing. You know, he leaves his definitely, if you do an album with Mutt, He's going to, you're going to get, uh, he's going to leave his stamp on it, regardless mm -hmm. if it's Shania Twain or it's Def Leppard or it's Brian Adams, whoever he works with, you're going to hear mud in it. And I hear he sings a lot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But the marriage would have been per, I mean, just imagine Neil's guitar, Journey's songwriting, and then Mutt's brain w putting it all, ah. Oh. We could always try to do a single. Yeah. <laughs> A whole record, we might be able to get through it in a couple months. <laughs> hey, we got three months. You want to do a single month? <laughs> <laughs> I got a couple months. Yeah. Hey, That's why great. not? Uh, look, Freedom is coming out on July 8th. You can pre-order it now wherever you get your music. They're also going to be doing a couple of dates. And, uh, geez, so much stuff happening in the journey world. Um, Neil, you just seem like you're still having a blast doing all of this. And it's just so awesome to see. You know, it, music is my life. You know, the band has been my life. I'm the only one has been there since the very uh, beginning of it. And, you know, I feel like um, I have. Oh, no. <laughs> Where'd he go? Oh, oh, ready to go. There he is. Oh, there he is. He's back. <laughs> I just feel like there's a lot left to do, you know. Mm -hmm. um guitar playing wise you know you never learn everything about the guitar such a great instrument and you can always aspire to get better and learn more you know like i've been so well, is that been why you have to buy 150 guitars? or <laughs> is that why <laughs> is that why you have to buy 150 of them to try and learn as much as you can or? you know uh i just decided to to you know invest 
um, which I had never done before. Mm-hmm. And um, and I ended up selling most of them. So it's like, you know, yeah. um, I my, my go-to guitars are pretty much there. I have a few uh, vintage Strats, like 61, 62, 63s. Those are my favorite years for Strats. And I have great 61, 2, and 3s. Uh, but uh, the 59 Pauls that I had, I have uh, Michael Bloomfield 59 relics that, that Gibson made with the first run. Uh, and I bought nine of them because they were so good. And they kind of eat up, eat up every other 59 I've played. A real really? Finish, wow. Yes. Huh. There's different electronics in it. You know, you have Bumblebee electronics in it, and there's just something to do with the bigger tone knob in the back mm-hmm. that things get really thick and full or brighter, you know, very an excellent instrument and a huge neck. Are you huge. still bypassing the second tone pot and just using one in your guitars? No, I'm leaving. I left those guitars. Whatever sounds good, mm-hmm. you know, I don't bypass. If sometimes it works to your advantage to have two tone pots, you know, and, and especially if you use like, uh, like a fuzz face, which mm-hmm. I like using, they don't really use it so much like a fuzz, but I turn the volume all the way, all, mo- almost all the way up and turn the fuzz way, way back. And so it kind of hits the front of the amp, but you'll find that the tone knob, uh, like on a telly, or on a lot of different guitars really reacts so differently when you're using a pedal like that in front. And so if you want to get a lot of treble out of the guitar, like uh, you got the best of me, I used a telly on that track. And I went through a fuzz phase and some of the lead gets nice and fat and full when you crank it up. It's kind of like the old Jimmy Page thing that he did on the first Zeppelin album. You know, uh, you pull the volume back and it gets very in your face, you know, a lot more treble. And then you have to roll off a bit of the tone so it doesn't rip your head off. But I I really like uh, what that pedal does. It's wild. I really never messed around with a fuzz face that much until, I don't know, about three years ago. I love the fact that you're still tone chasing after all these years, still finding something (laughs) new. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely a tone freak, you know, I'm going for that. Definitely. It's your voice. You know, yeah, I don't, I'm not a lead singer. So, I mean, the guitar is my voice. Well, if you uh, ever get tired of your uh, stealth Wolfgang, I'll send you my address. <laughs> <laughs> and a few thousand I, dollars. Um, just real quick before we leave. Uh, of course, you had uh, Narda and Randy on the album and you've got Dean and stuff back uh, on tour. Just talk to me about that, that, that switch. Was it always meant just to be a studio album with those guys or did they, could they just not commit to a tour? What happened? Well, you know, a lot of stuff happened that was not planned to happen. It was planned that they were going to go on tour. Narda started out with us on tour, and he had some physical complications, okay? okay? And one of the last first of the East Coast run that we did. After Lollapalooza, uh, we ended up in in, uh, Pennsylvania, and um, he had, you know, uh, we had to take him to the hospital afterwards. And, you know, he doesn't like... He doesn't really want it out there, so I'm just going to leave it at that. But, yeah. you know, after he had a scare like that, um, I went, I, I I just thought, you know, I, I don't want to be the person that would possibly be the one that could take him down. 
Yeah, you know, you don't want to risk it. And, Come on. And and Dean was there, backing us up, um, and helping us because we had to play the three and a half show in Chicago before we played Lollapalooza. You know, and Dean was the only one that could remember all that stuff. And so, you know, I talked to John and I said, "Look, I said, Nardi needs some help here. We've been in here, you know, about five days now rehearsing. A lot of it's just not sticking. It's too much to remember." Um, and so, um, agreed to re- bring Dean out and I'm glad we did. Dean is, Dean has been so, you know, Dean has been like my, he's tall, but he's my little brother. <laughs> I've been with him forever and, and he's such an amazing, uh, guy, but musician and singer, you know, I mean, talk about a, a singing drummer. There's no one like Dean and I've seen the best of them, whether it's Phil Collins or Don Henley, or whomever, nobody can sing and play like Dean Castronova. And so Randy, at the same token, he had had a back operation, and I wasn't even aware of that. And he was working in the studio, uh, but wasn't aware that he was healing. And so he wasn't able to come out physically either. So we started with Marco Mendoza. And um, after Narda had left, and we went to play uh, the iHeart Radio show in Vegas mm-hmm. uh, that we kind of headlined and kicked everybody's ass. It was, you know, um, I was mixing our performance um, with a good friend in Nashville, and I'm listening to the where everything's sitting. I'm listening to the bass and drums and guitar, and I noticed that Marco was just—he sounded so different. He was not playing the required parts in the songs, you know, mm. uh, that, that made the songs sound like the songs. And he was kind of overplaying mm. and playing in front of the drums, you know, which doesn't leave a big pocket for me to sit in. Yeah, And, you know, so I talked to him about it and he was kind of nonchalant about it. He goes, okay, I'll keep that in mind. And I go, well, I'd like <laughs> you to more than keep it in mind. I'd like you to, you know, check it out a little deeper. I like and, your job, really. You know, at that point, you know, when everybody heard the recording, actually heard it not in an echoey, you know, arena, but heard it, you know, on on uh, with the mix that we had done, everybody agreed that they just thought that, you know, Marco wasn't the right guy for the right chemistry to fit with Dean altogether. So I immediately thought of Todd Jensen because, you know, I had great, a great, great time with Todd on on stage before, um, like starting out with the Hardline band uh, that goes way back. But then after we left that band, um, Paul Rogers hired me to go out and do the Muddy Waters tour. And he had a band in place at the time. And Paul was getting very frustrated because nobody could remember uh, the songs. And I, <laughs> said, I said, Paul, if you allow me, I said, I, I know two guys. I can bring in here and they'll learn every single one of these songs. We won't even have to rehearse. We just walk on stage. They'll do their homework. And so he agreed to do it. And I brought Dean and Todd and we had an ass kicking trio. You know, uh, we played everything from free to bad company to the firm to uh, Muddy Waters Blues album. Uh, to, and then I started adding Hendrix to it. 
tunes. We did like five or six Hendrix tunes, and that was our set. It was bionic. It was a two-hour set, and man, did I, we all had a blast doing that. And I would do it again with him. You know, he was so good. Just freaking amazing. It must be nice to just play with really good musicians. <laughs> it, it's it's yeah. great to play with guys that are really consistent, you know? Yeah. There's a, a lot of really great musicians out there, and, and most have their own little forte. There's not a lot of them that do, you know, a lot of different things really great, which Journey kind of requires because, you know, this new Freedom album, it's it's got a lot of, you know, there's a lot of dynamics there's a lot of different types of songwriting on this album, much like an escape, you know, mm. uh, you have a song like dead or alive and then you have an open arms. I mean, it couldn't be further apart, you know? And so, um, you know, we have to have musicians that are capable of playing a lot of different styles. And on this album, we tap into some new areas like holding on or, um, uh, all day and all night was a completely different thing to me. You know, when I wrote that song, uh, the holes I left in it and the dry guitar, the big punchy, I go, oh, Paul Rogers eat this up, you know, in a second. And so when I went out to lay the vocal on it, Narda helped me with that one as well. We kind of went in that blues rock vein, you know, mm -hmm. uh, which is something new for um, Arnell. And he absolutely loves the new, you know, the new plays come away with me. You know, uh, and, and all those, those funky, hard rocking tunes that we have yeah. in this album. There's like four of them that are in a different chapter for Journey, which I, I'm really happy that once we did, you know, uh, holding on, I said, wow, this is going to stick out like a sore thumb on this album. If I don't write like three more that kind of coincide <laughs> and come from the same area, then it shows right. people that we can actually, go into a new chapter and do some things we've never done before. Yeah. Uh, not only vocally, but just with the type of grooves, you know, these grooves we can really use in our show. You know, I mean, you can make albums all day long, like Mitch was talking about, uh, in, yeah. and a lot of bands stay to their format, you know. Sure, some of it has to sound immediately like Journey. Otherwise, people are going to scratch their head and go, why'd they do that? Yeah. But, you know, you also, I think if you want to move forward, you have to, you know, tap onto some new new grounds and cover some new grounds and show that there's still new life in the band. And, you know, I think this gives Arnell a tremendous opportunity to, um, you know, become himself and not plagiarizing anybody, not having to sound like this, having to sound like that. Mm -hmm. When I when I found Arnell uh, 15 years ago on YouTube, the reason I was so moved by the guy, I, I, I didn't even listen to the journey stuff that he had covered like faithfully until the very end of all the 40 clips. I listened to all the Zeppelin stuff he was doing. I listened to Sting. I listened to the Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi. <laughs> I mean, it was like everybody. I go, this guy is, he's a chameleon. Yeah. A chameleon singer like I've never heard before. And then if you're standing right next to him and you ask him to do, you know, somebody else like, uh, Jesus, I could pick any jazz singer. And he's able to morph himself into that and sound just like it, like Nat King Cole. He does Nat King Cole like to a T, you know. Uh, 
And you're just going, what? That's insane. <laughs> and it's all him, really. You know, it's just him. He's got many different voices, but he, Arnell, can croon with the best of them. And since we've got this new mixer out in front, we've got a very great young mixer with fresh ears right now, mm. 29 years old from England. And um, we're, we're stealing him away from somebody else for next year. Nice. But he did come in and he really straightened our stuff out and managed to straighten, you know, uh, we brought in an outside help also, a vocal guy that was helped Arnold dial in his in-ears. Because I don't know what he was listening to up there, but he couldn't hear himself and he couldn't explain why he couldn't hear himself. Right. And so there was pitch problems. Now it sounds like a record every freaking night. And so now I'm going, wow, you spent 13 years not being able to hear yourself and couldn't explain it. I was like, that's mind boggling to me. Yeah. Because course. he sounds as good or better right now than he sounded when I first found him. Wow. Yeah. He's bionic. It's amazing how like a mix could just, you know, completely throw you off. And it, and it was the in-house mix too, in mm -hmm. front, you know, um, these, these, you know, halls we're playing are hockey halls, you know, basketball halls. And, and um, so they're, they're not built really for music. And if you tend to put too many subs in there on the floor, uh, and use too much on the floor. All it does is bounce around the building. It couples and it comes back on stage. And I can't tell what key I'm in. Mm -hmm. Let alone, Ar uh, let alone Arnell. You know. Yeah. All right. Well, that's interesting. Now I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure to pay attention to the sound at the next Journey show because it sounds like you got it all dialed in. I love a good sounding show, so it's nice to know that you put that much effort into it. Yep. Yeah, no, it sounds like an album out there now every night. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, you know, he's not one of these guys. The problem with a lot of guys we had in the past is they couldn't keep their hands off the motherfucking faders. Yeah. Okay. It's like when you get the band sounding right, we are musical. We do our own dynamics. Yeah. When the guitar comes down, I want it to come down. When I turn the guitar down, I don't want you grabbing the fader and shoving it up the top of the console. Totally. And so we constantly had that problem where the guitar, and I could tell what was going on uh, many, many times just from an iPhone. Somebody's in the back of the hall. Even if they were up in yeah. a nosebleed, they're holding it up. And I could tell if there wasn't enough drums, bass, there was too much guitar. It was always too much vocals out in front, too many uh, background vocals, too much lead guitar, no band to back it up, no bass, no drums. I'm yeah. like, what? <laughs> what the fuck is going on, man? Right, right. You know, I'm I I like having a big band wrapped around me, so I'm like kind of fighting to get out. You need that power yeah. wrapped around you to sound like anything. It doesn't matter how good you are, unless you're Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> you're trying to figure out how he's doing this tapping stuff, where they do an isolated track. You know, right. Um, but I mean, just guitar by itself gets really annoying. I got. So tired of looking in the front row at people looking like they were getting mauled over by sound. You know, by the second song, if I want to play another guitar solo, they're going, Oh, please don't. You know? Right. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I'm yeah. like, okay. Razor blades in the ears and all that, yeah, like low no. mid. It's not, it's not pleasant, man. 
Yeah. And I mean, it must help when you have a front of house guy that knows the music. I mean, I, I interviewed one of the guitar players for Shania Twain's old band, and they were talking about how Mott Lang came in and they hired this guy that did like sound for like Bruce Springsteen or something. And he just threw the faders up. And Mott was like, no, 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 stop. And then they spent a whole day just dial in the, dialing in the bass tone and the drums in the arena. And then they had to fire the guy because he, he didn't know the records. He brought his guy, Nigel Green, in, studied the album, knew which fiddle parts to ride the faders on. And like, you need somebody that knows the music and is a fan to mix the band, I think. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. They need to know the songs. They need to be familiar with the songs. But they also, you know, it helps. Uh, honest to God, they, got, they have a tough job, to be completely honest. Yeah. You know, I don't know that many guys that have been doing it for over two decades, you know, where, where they still have their all their hearing. Yeah. You know, they can't wear headphones out there. Uh, they can put a headset on for a second after they get things dialed mm -hmm. to kind of save their ears, but they usually hate doing that. Right. And so, you know, if you're mixing loud out there, uh, it's only a matter of time before that high end goes in your ears. Then you're going to overcompensate for that high end, that 10K, all that ugly stuff yeah. that's on top that's just like razor blades. And they reach for that. And then they cram the instruments up that are in that realm. You know, it's like, <laughs> and, and then it's just like broken glass mud in your ears yeah yeah i like hearing really like nice full i want to hear like a jukebox an old jukebox mix that's yeah. what journey needs and the subs are really you know they can be used with us but not a whole lot because they're not that musical mm -hmm. you know i'm a, i was a huge fan of the system that came from canada you know the s4s and you know all that old audio analyst all that stuff that we used for years i mean it's hard to find anything that sounds that good yeah even with yeah. technology i mean she's i agree well look um geez neil you've said it all freedom uh, july 8th you can pick up uh pre-order it now wherever you get your music of course uh catch them on the road this sounds like it's going to be uh, an oral uh an audible experience uh, it's just oh, going to assault listen, your ears. It, it always is. And, and I'll, I'll say this last thing. I saw them on the Def Leppard tour with, it was Cheap Trick at the Fenway Park. And stadium shows usually sound like shit, but all three bands sounded amazing. And when you know what you're doing, it just, it just shows. And it, it was, it was spectacular. Well, thank you. Thank you guys. And, uh, you know, one thing I can add is that when you're playing outside, it's way easier to get a better sound. You know, outside the sound goes out and you still get some of the slap back, you know, from, from the stadium, from the seats, because they go up high and it comes back at you. So you feel that like you're inside, but you don't have all the issues. Like if it's too loud, you know, it can stand to be loud outside because the sound just goes out and goes up, you right. know, uh, inside, uh, you know, the arenas it's a whole different ball game yeah well i'm telling you uh you got the best of me come away with me holding on uh just classic instantly classic songs fans are gonna love it we have a new single too coming out i want to let you guys know united we stand is coming out on the 4th of july so this monday this coming up uh monday and we'll also they came and they pre-taped us for the 4th of july in nashville so we're going to nice. be on CNN uh, for the 4th as well. Awesome. Perfect. Hopefully they put your performance online this time. 
Uh, yeah, I know. Wasn't that the shit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know I what kind it. of politics that was, but, you know, I have a feeling it was politics. Well, probably. It's CNN, right? <laughs> right. Well, go. look, uh, go pre-order Freedom now. You guys are doing the CD, the vinyl, the whole nine yards. It's not just the digital thing. I can get like a double LP gatefold thing, uh, the yes, full packaging. Yes, you can. Neil? Yeah, there we go. We got the nod. Awesome. Yep, well, yep, yep. Yeah, it's going to be It's a double CD, double uh you know album and so it's packed uh 15 tracks and you know what's funny the one last thing uh this the the song that closes the album beautiful as you are is the first time you know that i've written a, a long like a suite in in for one of our albums and it, and it goes back in this this song to me kind of takes you back to infinity era when Perry first came in, what it was very musical before mm. it went kind of more in a pop area, right. you know, with John and him. But it's that from that era, but it's also it's a suite. And in order for it to stick, you know, be able to be put on two vinyl albums uh, for the vinyl. I had to chop another five minutes out of it. There was a whole nother section. Oh, man. That went in that song. And uh, so, you know. Who knows? Maybe after the album comes out for a while, I can do I can put the section back in and we'll just put it out as a single song. Yeah, make it like a record store day exclusive or something. Uh, yeah, I'd love yeah, to. Yeah, I mean it. it's long enough to be almost a side of an album. <laughs> uh, it'd be like it'd be like a Genesis track or something. It'd be like Supper is ready. But uh yeah. I've got mine pre-ordered from Japan. Apparently there's a bonus track, so I'm all in. It's paid for. Yeah, the bonus track is beautiful too. It's a ballad, it's one of John's ballads. Perfect. Can't wait to get it. I'm, I'm waiting awesome. for my CD from Japan to show up. Yep. It was great right. to hang with you guys. You too. Yeah, Always you too. Hopefully we'll see you uh, when we get up in your neck of the woods. Hopefully see you both. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. We we so we were so there for the Billy Idol uh, uh, Journey show in Quebec in March, and then it got canceled, and it was Toto and Journey, and it got canceled. So, come on. Yeah, yeah I know. Not my <laughs> fault. Sorry. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> bring me to bring there. Bring Brian Adams along. We'll 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 make up for it by having some connection. Hey, you know, I'm going to tell you the truth. We've been trying to play with Brian Adams for years, and it's it's almost like you know he doesn't want anything to do with us since we don't have Steve singing. So oh. I, don't, I don't know if he's come to see us, but maybe he should. It's still that would be like killer package. I love those guys. Yeah, yes. that'd be amazing. Just imagine Journey, Brian Adams, Def Leppard. That's stadiums across the world. <laughs> Well, you know what? We play um, stadiums with just Def Leppard. So, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's definitely a stacked bill. You can pick one or the other. And I think we could all do good just with a couple bands. Yep. Yeah, I'm all for it. Well, Thank thanks you, a lot, Neil. It was so great to meet you. We'll have to do this again. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Have a great one. An all-new episode of the Mitch Fun and Jeremy White Show. Tuesday at noon. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews, bonus content, and episodes on demand now. Visit youtube.com slash Jeremy White Show. Follow Mitch and Jeremy on Twitter. Yeah, they're verified. At Mitch Lafon and at Jeremy White MTL.